السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد So inshallah today we will begin our study of the book Sahih Al-Bukhari But before we open the book and before we read the name of the book and read about the author of the book and what the book says there is a very important thing that we should be clear about in our minds which is is it important to study hadith is it necessary is it beneficial we are about to study the most authentic book of hadith but before we do that we must know why are we doing this it gives us a very deep understanding of the book of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of the quran why else is it necessary that our deen is not just about certain beliefs it's not just about faith but rather it's a whole way of life so it's important to know the theology whatever the faith what you believe in but at the same time you have to know how are you supposed to live this deen how are you supposed to practice this deen and the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that is what teaches us the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was a role model for the people however we were not alive when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was here isn't it so we've never met him we've never attended his sermons we've never traveled with him we've never prayed with him however the hadith teaches us how he prayed where he went what he did what he said how he advised what he instructed so this is why it's very important for us to learn the hadith anything else that comes to your mind that when a person becomes a muslim he has to say the shahada And the shahada has two parts. One is the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, la ilaha illallah. And the second is, Muhammadur Rasulullah. So you learn about the words of Allah, where? In the Quran. And the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where do you learn that from? From the hadith. So to complete our iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what do we do? Study the Quran. And to complete and perfect and improve our iman in the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what do we have to do? Study the hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُ الرَّسُولُ Obey Allah and obey the messenger. Obey Allah, okay, you find out about what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded. You open the book of Allah. Obey the messenger. What did he say? What did he instruct? What did he command? You have to open up his words. To increase our love for the Prophet ﷺ. Because that is also a very important part of iman. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? That لَا يُؤْمِنُ أَحَدُكُمْ None of you can become a true believer until and unless I become the most beloved to him, more than his family, his children, his parents, even himself and his wealth. So you cannot love a person until you know him. Isn't it so? And how do you get to know about a person? When you learn about what they said, when you learn about how they lived. Those who disobey the Messenger ﷺ, they will be extremely ashamed and embarrassed on the Day of Judgment. So how do we save ourselves from disobeying the messenger? Obeying him and how do you do that? By learning about what he has commanded. To learn more about ibadah. How to improve in our worship. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he was the best abd of Allah. Which is why he is called the abd of Allah so many times in the Quran. Isn't it so? So he was the best worshiper. So how did he worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We have to know about that. And how do we know about that? From the hadith. And only when we know about that, then can we implement that and improve ourselves. The Prophet ﷺ was the best teacher. And in order to know how to teach people, how to call people to Islam, how to do da'wah, how to correct someone when they're making a mistake, what do we have to do? Look at the role model. Look at the best example. Look at the best teacher. Exactly. That the commands are given in the Qur'an. But what's their detail? Where do you learn that from? From the hadith. Now before that, what is the hadith? Hadith is ilmun, it's a science, it's knowledge, yudhkaru fihi, in which is mentioned, aqwalu rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Aqwal, what are they? 
statements, words. It's a science, it's a knowledge in which are mentioned what? The statements of the Messenger wasallam, But not just his statements, وَأَفْعَالِهِ And also his actions. And not just his actions, but also وَتَقْرِيرَاتِهِ What are they? His approvals. As well as وَحَالَاتِهِ And also his circumstances. Meaning, the important incidents of his life, where he went, what he did. So all of that also you learn from where? From the hadith. So to summarize all that we have discussed so far, it is important, it is necessary to study the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ because first of all, it is the sharh of the Qur'an. It is the explanation of the Qur'an. It is the tabheen of the Qur'an. What does tabheen mean? To make something clear. So it is the clarification of the Qur'an. After studying the Qur'an, it is necessary that we know what its explanation is. You must have thought those 18 months we spent studying tafsir, so now we're studying the sharh. Definitely. Now, the tafsir of the Qur'an is also done how? With the ayat of the Qur'an as well as the hadith of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Nahl, ayah 44, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ That the Qur'an has been revealed to you. Why? So that you may make clear to the people. The Prophet ﷺ was sent to clarify the Qur'an. Now if you read the Qur'an but you don't know the clarification, the explanation, the knowledge is incomplete. Similarly we see in the Qur'an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also mentions لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ بَعْثَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ Allah has done a huge favor on the believers when He sent a messenger from among themselves. And this messenger, what does he do? يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ I want you to notice two things over here. First of all, يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ The Prophet ﷺ, what did he do? recited the ayat. When he recited the ayat, he conveyed the Qur'an. But is that sufficient? No. Which is why if you look further in the ayah, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابِ He taught them the book. The Prophet ﷺ did not just convey the book to us. He also taught the book. Where are those teachings? Where are they? In the hadith of the Messenger ﷺ. This is why it's essential that we learn the hadith as well. Because sometimes a lot of importance is given on the study of the book of Allah. Of course, that's very important. But remember that your understanding, your knowledge will be incomplete unless and until you study the hadith as well. Similarly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ also taught al-hikmah. What is al-hikmah? Wisdom, right? And literally, what does it mean? What does hikmah mean? To place something where it belongs. Meaning to do something as it should be done in the right manner. In the right methodology. So the Prophet ﷺ taught us how to do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do. So it is al-hikmah. Then it's an obligation on us as well to know what the Prophet ﷺ said, to know what he taught. How is it an obligation? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ Whatever the messenger gives to you, then what should you do? Take it. وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ Whatever he forbids you from, stay away from it. So what did he teach us? What did he forbid us from? We have to learn about that. And that is why the study of the hadith is essential. Then we also see that when a person studies the hadith, when a person learns about the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then he gets to know more about the messenger. When he will learn more about the messenger, in fact, he will love him. We learned that once Imam Bukhari, he was teaching one of his students and he was narrating one hadith after another. And you know that Imam Bukhari, he did not just know a few ahadith. He knew thousands, hundreds and thousands of ahadith. And this was his passion. So just imagine a person is talking to you about something that they're very passionate about. How do you think they will speak about it at length? Isn't it so? You may get bored of it, but they will never get bored of it. So Imam Bukhari, he was teaching one of his students and he was narrating one hadith after the other. And all of a sudden he felt afraid that his student might get bored. That it's enough now. I don't want to learn anymore. I'd like a break. I'd like to do something else. And you know what he said to him? He said to him, Be happy and at peace. Be happy and at peace. For the people of games, they're busy with their games. And the workers, they're busy with their work. And businessmen are busy with their business. But as for you, 
you are studying the hadith of the Messenger وسلم, you are with the Prophet وسلم, and his companions. When a person is studying the hadith, it's like as if he enters into another world. Isn't it when you read a biography? Hmm? Then it's as though you are living with that person. Isn't it? And when they get happy at something, you are happy. When they become sad because of something, you start crying. Why are you crying? Nothing happened to you. You are perfectly safe. Isn't it? But why is it that you jump out of excitement or tears start to fall down your eyes? Why is it so? Because when you are studying about a person, it's as though you are with them. So when you study about the words of the messenger, when you study about his circumstances, about his actions, then it's as though you are with him. And when you're with him, obviously you will grow in your knowledge of him, your love for him. So this is why it's essential that we study the hadith as well. Then also very, very important that we improve ourselves. The study of the hadith, why is it necessary? So that we can improve ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, لَقَدَ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ There is a beautiful, an excellent pattern for you, an excellent example for you to follow in who? In the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is why it's important that we know about him. Because how can we follow that example without even knowing what it is? And also it's essential in order to earn the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the most beloved way, the most beloved actions to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are of who? His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Follow the Messenger. Why? Why? Because His ways are the best the most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which is why when a person follows the sunnah, then what will happen? يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ Allah will also love you. The goal of every believer should be to earn the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when a person earns the love of Allah, then he is fine in this dunya, in the grave, on the day of judgment, in the hereafter. Then he is fine. But if a person is in such a state where Allah is upset with him, where Allah does not approve of his actions then that person is a loser in this dunya, at the time of death, in the grave, at the time of hashr, in the hereafter, he's a loser. So how is it that we earn the love of Allah? By following the Messenger ﷺ. This is why it's essential that we study the hadith. And also it's essential that in order to be deserving of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ. Which dua? You know, you think about it, that when the companions, you know, when they were with the Prophet ﷺ, if they did something, Prophet ﷺ made dua for them. We learn in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةٌ تُطَهِرُهُمْ بِهَا وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ That take the sadaqah that the people bring and also pray for them. إِنَّ صَلَاتُكَ سَكَنُ لَهُمْ That your dua for them is a means of satisfaction for them. The Prophet ﷺ is praying for us. Now imagine, how can we get that dua? We are not with him, isn't it? We are not with him. We cannot go and give a gift to the Prophet ﷺ to earn his dua. So how can we be deserving of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ? The Prophet ﷺ prayed. He said that, That may Allah make the face of a person glow and fresh and shining and happy and pleasant. Which person? Any person? No. A special person. And who is he? That سَمِعَ minna hadithan. The person who heard a hadith from us. He heard a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. And then after hearing the statement of the Messenger ﷺ, what did he do? Did he just forget it? Did he say, oh wow, that was impressive? No. فَحَفِظَهُ Then he memorized it. He memorized what the Prophet ﷺ said. So a person who memorized the statements of the Messenger, for him the Prophet ﷺ prayed that may Allah keep his face glowing and pleasant and happy and fresh. And then he didn't just memorize it, but حَتَّى يُبَلِّغَهُ كَمَا سَمِعَهُ Until he conveyed it just as he heard it. He heard the hadith, he memorized it, and what did he do? He passed it on. This is why we see that Sufyan ibn Uyayna, great scholar of the past, he said that مَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَطْلُبُ الْحَدِيثَ إِلَّا فِي وَجْهِهِ نَظْرَةِ There is no person who is seeking the hadith, meaning he is learning, memorizing the hadith, except that in his face is freshness. Except that in his face is pleasantness. Except that in his face is radiance. Now who doesn't want that extra bit of beauty? Of course every woman loves it. Right? Every woman wants it. Every person wants it. So the Prophet ﷺ made dua. 
the person who memorizes the hadith, hears it and conveys it as he heard it, may Allah keep his face fresh. So if we want that, then we must study the hadith. That's the first step. Because passing it on is the second step. And before that, memorizing it is the second step. Then we also learn about another hadith in which we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he made a dua. And he said, Allahumma arham khulafai. That, oh Allah, have mercy on my khulafa. Who are khulafa? Hmm? Your successors. So, Allahumma arham khulafai. Qila, it was said, وَمَنْ خُلَفَاءُكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ That, who are your khulafa, O Messenger of Allah? Who are they? The Sahaba asked. The Prophet ﷺ replied, الَّذِينَ يَرْوُونَ أَحَادِيثِ وَيُعَلِّمُونَ النَّاسِ those who narrate my ahadith and they also teach them to people. The Prophet ﷺ prayed for Allah's mercy for them. How can you narrate the hadith without even learning it? When can you narrate something? When can you talk about something? When can you pass something on? When you know it yourself. So this is why it's essential that we learn the hadith as well. And another very important reason why we must study the hadith is to get to Jannah. Because that's the goal of every believer, to get to Jannah. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ أَحَبَّ سُنَّتِي Whoever loves my sunnah, فَقَدْ أَحَبَّنِي Then in fact he has loved me. Tell me, can you love the sunnah without knowing the sunnah? Can you love the sunnah without loving the Prophet ﷺ? No, it's not possible. So, مَنْ أَحَبَّ سُنَّتِي فَقَدْ أَحَبَّنِي وَمَنْ أَحَبَّنِي كَانَ مَعِيَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ And whoever loves me, he will be with me in Jannah. So if you want to be in Jannah, and if you want to be with the Prophet ﷺ in Jannah, then what do we have to do? Follow his sunnah, love his sunnah, love the Prophet ﷺ. And that is not possible unless we know what the sunnah is. And for that purpose, we are going to study the book Sahih al-Bukhari. Now this book Sahih al-Bukhari, what do you think the name of this book is? Sahih Bukhari? Is that the name of the book? No. That's just the abbreviated, the abridged name of the book. That is used by the people in general. The actual proper name, and there are two versions of the name. There is a slight difference. I'm going to give you only one, which is the longer version. And this name is Al-Jami' Al-Sahih Al-Musnad Al-Mukhtasar Min Umuri Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Wa Sunanihi Wa Ayyamihi What does Al-Jami' mean? Let me test you. Comprehensive. Why is it called Al-Jami' How is it comprehensive? In what way? It covers all of the topics. What topics? That we see that in the past, different types of books of a hadith have been written. For example, some scholars, they only focused on fiqh. If you look at Bulughul Maram, for example, it's a book of fiqh, but also a book of hadith. Isn't it so? All the chapters that are in that book are about fiqh. And how has the author shown his arguments and proven his points. How has he done that? By quoting a hadith. So that book is not Jamir. Why? Because it's only about one topic. Which topic? Fiqh. Similarly, there are other books of hadith which are only about Aqidah, for example. Or they're only about the life of the Prophet ﷺ, for example. Or they're only about tafsir. Jamir is a kind of hadith book which covers all the different topics all the different themes, all the different subjects that you can learn from the hadith. From aqidah, iman, fiqh, tafsir of the Qur'an, to maghazi, the battles, the expeditions of the Prophet ﷺ. Similarly, ar-riqaq, meaning heart softeners. Similarly, zuhd, which teaches about abstaining from overindulging in the dunya. Similarly, adabu ta'am wal libas, the etiquettes of eating and the etiquettes of wearing clothes. So all such topics are covered in Al-Jamir. So Sahih Bukhari, is it a big book of hadith? Is it? Yeah, how big is it? Several volumes that you have, right? You must have been shocked when you saw that huge box. So this whole box is Bukhari? Yes, this whole box is Bukhari. Why is it so long? Because of all the different topics that this book covers. Al-Jamir Al-Sahih. What does Al-Sahih mean? Authentic. Imam Bukhari, he wrote only the most authentic ahadith in this book. Imam Bukhari was familiar with, he had memorized authentic ahadith as well as unauthentic ones. But which ones did he select for his book? Authentic. But was it just authentic? No, the most authentic. 
meaning the most authentic. For example, when it came to narrators, they weren't just any narrators, they were the best ones, the most credible ones, the most trustworthy ones. So, Al-Jami' As-Sahih. And because Imam Bukhari selected the most authentic hadith for his book, this is why the scholars have said that Sahih Bukhari, what is it? As-Sahul Kitabi, Ba'da Kitabillah. It is the most authentic book after the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after the Qur'an. Then, Al-Musnad. What does Musnad mean? It's from the word Sanad. And Sanad is the chain of narrators. So the ahadith that Imam Bukhari has mentioned in this book, how are they? How has he mentioned them? With the chains. With the complete chains. Going all the way up to the Messenger wasallam. After Al-Musnad, Al-Mukhtasar. What does Mukhtasar mean? Brief. Imam Bukhari, as I told you earlier, he knew many ahadith. But if you think about it, how many ahadith does his book have? Around 7,000. So you wonder, are there only 7,000 sahih ahadith? No. There are many more. There is a book by Shaykh Ubani, Silsilatul Ahadith Sahiha. That he has collected all of the different sahih ahadith which are found in other books as well and he has put them together in that book. So Imam Bukhari, he did not put all of the authentic ahadith in this book but rather he selected only a few. Why is it so? It is said that Imam Bukhari, he said that I have inserted nothing but authentic hadith narrations in this book and I have abstained from including many authentic hadith narrations in it as well. I have included many and I have abstained from many. Why have I abstained from many? Fearing that it would become too long of a book. Otherwise it would become extremely long. So Al-Jami' Al-Sahih Al-Musnad Al-Mukhtasar Min Umuri Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so the ahadith that are in this book, how are they? What are they about? Min umuri Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Min from umur, the matters, the affairs of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the ahadith, what are they? The affairs of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, meaning the matters related to him. And this includes his words, this includes his actions, this includes his approvals. So all of these matters, they are recorded in this book. And not just the umur, but also was sunanihi. Sunan is the plural of sunnah. And what is sunnah? The way, the practice of someone. But as a technical term, what is a sunnah? The way of the Prophet ﷺ. So it refers to his ways, his practices, the aqidah that he taught, the knowledge that he gave us. So the legal judgments. Wa ayyamihi. Ayyam is a plural of yawm. Yawm means day. But the word ayyam, Ayyamullah. What does it refer to? Major historical events. Remember? So the ayyam of the Messenger ﷺ, what are the events of his life? Because every major and minor event is also related. That is also recorded. So the events of his life. This includes the battles that he went to. This includes how he spent the day. This includes, you know, the different incidents that happened. For example, the birth of his son, the death of his son, his marriage, so on and so forth. Now, one more thing about Sahih Bukhari, that remember that this book is a very, very important book. In the sense that wherever Islam has reached, what has reached? The book of Allah has reached over there. And along with the book of Allah, what else has reached over there? Sahih Bukhari has also reached over there. Isn't it so? The word Bukhari is a word that people are not unfamiliar with. Isn't it so? They may not know about Ibn Majah. They may not know about a tirmidhi But what do they know? Bukhari, isn't it? So, this book is authentic. This book is a very, very important book. The way that it has spread, the way that it has become famous, the way that almost every single believer, every single Muslim is familiar with the name of this book, what does it show? That how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, granted this effort acceptance, which is why it has spread far and wide. Then we also see that in all of history, no other book has reached a level that this book has reached. The level that Sahih Bukhari has reached, no other book has reached. Obviously the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's understood. But after the book of Allah, this book is the most famous book. This book has reached a level which no other book has reached. And we see that the name of the book, Al-Jami' الصحيح المسند المختصر من أمور رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وسننه وأيامه. This name itself is a preface to the book. 
You know, every time you open a book, you read a preface, right? What the book is about, the author has some notes, some introduction. This is all the introduction. Somebody once said about Imam Bukhari that he has many, many good characteristics, many good qualities, but of his best qualities is that he speaks little. Imam Bukhari did not speak a lot, he spoke very less. And we see that evident in his book as well. That how the entire preface, he summarized it in just one statement in the title of his book. And we see that Sahih al-Bukhari, this is a book not just of hadith, but it is also a book of fiqh. In the sense that the way Imam Bukhari has compiled the ahadith, the way he has given the chapter headings, and the way he has mentioned the ahadith under those chapter headings, he's actually proving a point over there. He's not just randomly put together all of the ahadith that he wanted to put. He's organized them in a particular way, giving chapter headings, which actually prove very important points, which inshallah you will enjoy learning about as you study this book. And in this book there are 7,275 ahadith, including repetitions. Why are there repetitions in the book? Inshallah we will learn about that. And as I mentioned to you earlier, in truthfulness, in authenticity, this book is next to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A poet once said, Lahul kitabu ladhi yatlul kitabi huda. That he has, meaning Imam Bukhari, he wrote, he has a book which follows the book of guidance. In what sense? In authenticity, in truthfulness. And hadi siyadati, this is a siyad, meaning this is a great position. Tawdan, remember what the word tawd means? A huge mountain. Meaning this honor is like a huge mountain, laysa yansadir, which cannot be broken. Meaning it's an accepted, understood fact that this book is authentic. Every single hadith in this book is authentic. Now this is a huge honor. Because every other book, you know, you might find some difference of opinion. But this book, undisputable. This is why we see that the scholars of the past, they have greatly appreciated the book of Imam Bukhari. For example, we learned that Al-Dhahabi, he said, that were a man to travel for an entire year, if a man was to travel for an entire year, to hear Al-Jamir, Al-Sahih, he would not be expending wasted energy. If a person were to travel for an entire year to get somewhere, and from there he was to hear Sahih al-Bukhari, he's not wasting his effort, he's not wasting his time, he's not wasting his money. The journey of an entire year is worth it. So every day that you're coming, every hour that you're sitting through, studying this book, learning this book, getting more familiar with this book, know that you're not wasting your time. You're not wasting even one second, even one moment, even one cent. You know, for example, this book, it was quite expensive. Those of you who purchased it, you must have thought about it, that it's over a hundred dollars. I mean, why is it so expensive? What's the big deal? And just remember that every dollar that you spent on this book, it's worth it. All that we have to do is spend $125. The scholars of the past, they had to spend much more in order to study this hadith, in order to study this book. Because they had to travel. You couldn't just go to a bookstore and buy the book. No, they had to travel. They had to find a teacher. And that teacher would narrate to them. So a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort would go into it. But what did the scholars of the past say? It's worth it. Then we also see that Abu Abdul Rahman al-Nasai, he said, of all these books, meaning of all the different hadith compilations, none is better than the book of Muhammad ibn Ismail, meaning of Imam Bukhari. This book is the best book of all these books. Ibn Khuldun, he wrote, that I have heard many, many scholars say that to explain al-Bukhari's book is a debt that has to be paid by this nation. Is a debt that has to be paid by this ummah. Meaning he wrote the book, but now you have to explain it. You have to spread it. You have to tell people what it means. And this explanation is a debt that has to be paid by this ummah. Meaning this is a work that is extremely important, extremely necessary. Now the author of this book, who is he? We know of him as Imam Bukhari. But what was his actual name? Muhammad ibn Ismail. But he also had a kunya. And what is that kunya? Abu Abdullah. Okay. But did he just have a kunya? No, he had a title as well. So his title, what is that? Imamul Muhaddithin. What does Imam mean? Leader. The leader of all hadith scholars. Many, many hadith scholars. Imam Bukhari is like their leader. He's at the top. 
امام المحدثین امیر المؤمنین فی الحدیث the leader of believers when it comes to hadith meaning the greatest authority on hadith in other words who is امیر المؤمنین generally this word is used for who a khalifa isn't it like the president the greatest authority so when it comes to hadith who is the greatest authority who is the leader of the believers امام بخاری so امیر المؤمنین فی الحدیث ابو عبداللہ Abu Abdullah, the father of Abdullah. This was his kunya. Now some people say that this shows that Imam Bukhari actually had a son and his name was Abdullah. Others say that no, he never got married and he never had any children. So why was he given this kunya then Abu Abdullah? This was in order to distinguish his name from other people who may have the same name. Because his name was Muhammad. I mean, Muhammad is a name that is extremely common. So how do you distinguish Muhammad, the author of this book from so many other Muhammad that are there by giving him the kunya so he had this kunya Abu Abdullah so Abu Abdullah was his kunya Muhammad was his name Muhammad ibn Ismail he was a son of Ismail so what does it show that Ismail was who? his father his father's name was Abu Hassan Ismail his kunya was Abu Hassan and his father was also a muhaddith meaning he also narrated hadith, he also taught hadith, he also studied it. And he was a student of Imam Malik. And also he was a student of Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Abdullah ibn Mubarak, he wasn't just a student, but he actually spent a lot of time with him as well. And he narrated hadith from many different scholars, Hamad ibn Zaid, Malik, so on and so forth. And Abu Hassan Ismail, he was a very pious man. And we see that he was so careful that At the time of his death, he said to one of his companions that the money that I have, I don't even find one dirham that is doubtful. Meaning every single dirham that I have ever earned, I know that it is halal. Not even a single dirham of my earned wealth, of my acquired wealth, I find doubtful. I'm a hundred percent sure that it's halal. This is how careful he was, that he was actually able to say that. So, Abu Abdullah Muhammad ibn Ismail. Who was Ismail? He was a son of Ibn Ibrahim. And who was Ibrahim? Ibn al-Mughira. And who was al-Mughira? He was Ibn Bardizbeh. What does Bardizbeh mean? This Bardizbeh, this is not an Arabic name. What does it show? That Imam Bukhari was not an Arab. Who was he? Non-Arab. Bardizbeh, he was from the area of Bukhara. And he was a non-Muslim. He was a fire worshipper. And his son Mughira embraced Islam when Islam reached that land. You understand? So Bardizbe, he was not a Muslim. But his son Al-Mughira, he embraced Islam when Islam reached those lands over there. And when is it that Islam reached over there? It is said that at the time of Amir Muawiyah or at the time of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. It is when the area of Khurasan where Bukhara is, that was conquered. And it was then that Muawiyah, he embraced Islam. Now these are all of his, Muhammad ibn Ismail, Ismail his father, Ibrahim his grandfather, Al-Mughira, Bardizbe, all of these people are who? Imam Bukhari's ancestors. Now after them we see the word Al-Bukhari. So what does it show? Al-Bukhari was not actually his name. You understand? Al-Bukhari was not actually his name. Al-Bukhari, why is he called Al-Bukhari? Because he was from Bukhara. This is why he was called Al-Bukhari. And when was Imam Bukhari born? He was born in the year 194 after Hijrah on the 13th of Shawwal. Now after Al-Bukhari, Al-Ju'fi, this is the name of the person at whose hands Mughira embraced Islam. Mughira, the great-grandfather of Imam Bukhari, embraced Islam. But why does he get his name? It was a tradition at the time that a person would adopt the name or the name of the tribe of the person at whose hands he embraced Islam. And this relationship was known as the relationship of wala. Just as a person, if he was a slave of someone, when he freed him, that person would get the name of who? The master who freed him, his ex-master. You understand? Why? Because the master did a huge favor to him that he freed him of slavery. Similarly, that person did a huge favor to him when he told him about Islam and when the other embraced Islam at his hands. So this is why the people of the time, they would get the name of who? 
the personage whose hands they embraced Islam. And it wasn't just that they kept that name, but rather their children, descendants, they would even adopt that name. Which is why we see that Mughira embraced Islam at the hands of Al-Jurfi. But Imam Bukhari, he also got the name. And if you think about it, this is very interesting. That when you get a new name, what does it mean? It's as though a new life has begun. So similarly, when a person would embrace Islam, it was as though he began a new life. A new relationship was established. So this is the name of Imam Bukhari. Inshallah, we will learn more about him as we study Sahih Bukhari. I cannot cover all about him in one session, in two sessions. There is a lot to his life. So inshallah, I'll give you you know, a little bit of information, inshallah, with every session that we have. But just for now, before we actually open the book, we learned that Imam Bukhari, he was a great scholar of hadith. And he didn't just become a great scholar just like that. No. He started memorizing hadith from a very, very young age. Imam Bukhari said about himself, أُلْهِمْتُ حِفْظَ الْحَدِيثِ وَأَنَا فِي الْمَكْتَبِ I was as though inspired to memorize hadith while I was still in the maktab. What does maktab mean? Like a primary school, where you're learning how to read, how to write, the basic things. So when he was still in primary school, you can say, he had this urge, this desire, this intention, this plan, this goal in his head that he was going to memorize hadith. And one of his students asked him, said, how old were you then? He said, about 10 years of age. Is there anybody here who's 10 years of age? So Imam Bukhari, he began memorizing hadith at what age? 10. What do we think? A 10-year-old? What is he going to do? He doesn't know anything. How many of our 10-year-olds even know the name Al-Bukhari? How many? Very few. But Imam Bukhari started memorizing hadith at that age. And we see that he studied in his hometown of Bukhara until he was 16 years of age. And then after that, he traveled to Makkah. And he lived there for a while. And from there, he went to Medina. And over there also, he studied for a while. And he didn't just stop in Makkah and Medina, but he went beyond that. And he went so many places. Which is why we see that Imam Bukhari, he said, I visited Asham and Egypt and the Arabian Peninsula twice. Asham, Egypt, Arabian Peninsula. How many times? Two times. And Basra, four times. I resided in Al-Hijaz for six years. And I cannot even count the number of times I entered Kufa and Baghdad with other Hadith scholars. I don't even know how many times I entered Kufa. I went to Baghdad. I've lost track of the number. This is how much he traveled in order to study Hadith, in order to learn Hadith. He went to Mecca. He went to Medina. He went all over the Islamic Empire. It's as though he left no place. And then we see that Imam Bukhari, he said, I wrote down from more than 1,000 teachers. I wrote down a hadith from how many teachers? 1,000. Can we say I have heard 1,000 lectures? Can we say I have attended 1,000 different courses? No. 1,000 teachers. And I remember the chain of every hadith that I have with me. It wasn't that, that he memorized just the text, just the matan. No, he memorized the sanad of each and every hadith as well. And then we see that Imam Bukhari said, I memorized a hundred thousand authentic hadith narrations and I memorized two hundred thousand unauthentic hadith narrations. One hundred thousand he memorized that were authentic and two hundred thousand that were unauthentic. And then finally, he compiled this book. Why he compiled this book, inshallah we will learn about that as well. There's a long story and discussion to that. It's very beautiful. I don't, I don't want to quickly go over it. But the compilation of this book, Sahih Bukhari. Imam Bukhari said that I compiled this book from a choice of approximately 600,000 ahadith over a span of 16 years. 16 years he dedicated to what? Compiling this book. And he selected these authentic ahadith from how many? 600,000. Imagine you have to select 7,000 from 600,000. What would you do? What would you do? If we have to select one thing from 10, we're like, I don't know, this one or that one, this one or that one. We're so unsure. Why are we unsure? Because we don't know how good one is and how not good the other is. What does it show? That if he selected a few from 600,000, this shows how very well he knew each and every one of them. He knew which one was more authentic. 
he knew which one was not authentic because of what reason. You understand? So imagine, he knew about 600,000 ahadith. And from them he selected what he selected for his book. And where did he write this book? Imam Bukhari said that I wrote this book in Baytullah. I wrote this book in the Haram, in Makkah. He didn't just write it anywhere. He went to Makkah. And there he wrote this book. And I performed istikhara for every hadith. Every hadith that he wrote in this book, before writing it, before entering it into his book, what did he do? He performed istikhara. When I would be certain about the authenticity of that hadith, in every way, meaning from the matan to every single narrator, in every way when he was certain about the authenticity of the hadith, then I would enter it in as-sahih. So he paid attention to every single hadith. He didn't just say, yeah, this one I know, this one I know. Yeah, maybe this one should go here. No. He analyzed, critically analyzed every single one of them. And only then he entered a hadith in his book. And he said that I have prepared it as a hujjah for myself. What does it mean by the statement? What does it mean by the statement? I have prepared it as a hujjah for myself. On the day of judgment, this is what I have to show. On the day of judgment, this is what I have to show. I have prepared it as a hujjah for myself. 16 years, a whole lifetime. 600,000 ahadiths, uncountable journeys, 1,000 teachers or more, praying to rak'ah before entering any hadith, sitting in Makkah, in the haram. And what does he say? This is what I prepare to show for myself on the Day of Judgment. We need to reflect on ourselves. That what are we doing? What am I thinking for myself? What do I want to show on the Day of Judgment? That, Ya Allah, this life that you gave me, this is what I have accomplished. You see, on the Day of Judgment, there are some people who will say, Here, read my book. Here, see it. This is what I did. This is what I did. So what are we doing? Think about it. We see that Muhammad ibn Abu Hatim al-Warraq, he was one of his students. He said, When I would travel in the company of Abu Abdullah, meaning Imam Bukhari, we would stay under the roof of the same house. Except sometimes when it was extremely hot. So then we would sleep outside. And I would see Imam Bukhari get up 15 times during the same night. 15 times he would get up during the same night. And each time he woke up, what did he do? He would light a lamp and he would write something. Meaning he would write down some hadith narration. Just imagine, it's as though this was his life collecting hadith. This was his life. Because even while he was sleeping, you know, he gets up 15 times and he gets up, lights the lamp and then he writes something about the hadith. This is what he thought of. This is what he lived. This is what his entire life was about. And we also see that the same person, Al-Warraq, he said that I saw him compiling Kitab al-Tafsir and he woke up 15 to 20 times in the night, lit the lamp and he marked the hadith and then he would go to sleep. Now, earlier we learned that Imam Bukhari, he said, I wrote it over a span of 16 years. Then we see that Imam Bukhari said, I wrote it where? In the haram. Al-Warraq, from his narration, what do we learn? That while traveling, also Imam Bukhari was writing. From another version, we learn that Imam Bukhari said, I wrote this book in the Rawdah, in the Masjid al-Nabwi, sallallahu alayhi wa So is this all contradiction? No, it's not contradiction. What we see is that over a span of 16 years, he researched all of the hadith, in the sense that he was figuring out, okay, this hadith I'm going to put because this is authentic for this and this reason. He compiled all of them. And whether he was traveling or he was at home, wherever he was, he was busy doing his research, trying to figure out, this is what I'm going to compile. This is what I'm going to put in my book. And finally when he decided, okay, now it's ready, where did he go? To the haram. And he wrote it there. And then, he didn't just write it there once, but then from there he went to Masjid al-Nabwi. And over there also he finally compiled it. And before he entered any hadith, we learn that Imam Bukhari, he performed ghusl, and he prayed two rakah, and then he wrote the hadith. And not just the hadith, but even every chapter, every title that he put in the book, kitab so-and-so, bab of so-and-so. So even before writing the chapter titles, the headings, for that also he did the same. What? That he performed ghusl, he performed two rakah salah, and only then he wrote that chapter name. This is how much effort he put. This is how much time he put. This is how dedicated he was. This is why this book is so special. And this is why it's so meaningful. This is why it's so beneficial. And we see that Imam Bukhari, when he wrote this book, he didn't just 
spent the rest of his life in retirement? No. He actually taught this book then. And it is said that he taught between 70 to 90,000 people himself. He taught the book that he wrote. He read it to them. He narrated to them. And we see that Imam Bukhari, whoever he taught, he made a lot of dua for them. And it is said that Imam Bukhari, he was one of those persons whose dua was accepted. Why? Because of his ibadah, because of all the efforts that he was putting in. So we see that Imam Bukhari, he prayed a lot for those people who studied this book from him. Which is why it has been a tradition that whenever people were in some difficulty, in some problem, what would they start doing? They would open Sahih Bukhari and they would start reading it. Why do you think so? You know, people who studied Sahih Bukhari, you know, their problems were solved and their life improved and everything became easier for them. So it has been a tradition that whenever things are getting difficult, people would open up Sahih Bukhari in order to reap its benefits. And why is it so that when a person gets those benefits? Because when a person is studying Sahih Bukhari, what is he studying? The hadith of the Messenger wasallam. How many times the name of the Prophet wasallam is mentioned? So many times. Just think about it. In this session today only, how many times have we mentioned the name of the Prophet wasallam? So many times. Every time you mention, every time you hear, what do you say? Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And every time you say that, what do you get? Allah's mercy, His blessings. So remember, now that you're studying this book, your life is not going to become difficult. Inshallah, it should become easier. So enjoy it. Because the study of this book also brings about the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And before we study the actual hadith, before we open up the book, just one reminder. And that is... Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasulihi wattaqullah Inna allaha sami'un alim Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tarfa'u وَاتَكُمْ فَوْقَصَوْتِ النَّبِيِّ وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ أَن تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَغُضُّونَ أَصْوَاتَهُمْ What did you understand? That now that we are studying the hadith of the Messenger ﷺ, we should remember the proper etiquette. Remember Imam Bukhari said that when you're studying the hadith, you are in the company of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And the proper etiquette is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, لا ترفعوا أصواتكم Don't raise your voices. So when we're studying hadith, we should become extremely careful, extremely attentive, that all of our focus should be on what? On the hadith. So we should not engage in other conversations, be distracted by anything. Nothing is important right now. What is important is the words of the Messenger So let's remind ourselves, one another, and be careful about this. And also, لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله Don't try to get ahead of Allah and His Messenger. So whatever we learn, let's try to adopt that. And not think that, oh, I can do better than this. And why did He say that? And what does He mean by this statement? No. سمعنا وأطعنا We hear and we accept. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. Open this book, Sahih Al-Bukhari. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Kitab, book, Bad'ul Wahi. The beginning of revelation. What does Bad mean? To initiate, to begin, to start something. Al-Wahi, the revelation. Kitab, Bad'ul Wahi, the book of, the beginning of revelation. What does it mean by this? Meaning how the Wahi began. How it began 
how it started to come to the Prophet ﷺ. This is what this title means. Kitabu Badul Wahi. قَالَ الشَّيْخُ الْإِمَامُ الْحَافِظُ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ إِسْمَعِيلَ بْنِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ بْنِ الْمُغِيرَةِ الْبُخَارِيُّ رحمه الله تعالى آمين قال What does قال mean? He said Who said? الشيخ The sheikh Meaning the teacher الإمام The leader Meaning إمام المحدثين الحافظ أبو عبد الله محمد بن إسماعيل ابن إبراهيم ابن المغيرة البخاري This is his name رحمه الله تعالى آمين Now if it says book Why does it begin with this? That this is what Imam Bukhari said Remember that Imam Bukhari, as I told you, when he compiled this book, he also taught this book. And when he taught this book, his students wrote that book, right? They memorized it, they learned it from him, and they made their own copies as well. So that student, when he passed it on, how did he teach that book? قَالَ الشَّيْخُ الْإِمَامُ الْحَافِ بَابٌ كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحْيِ إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ بَابٌ Bab literally means door. But over here it doesn't mean door. What does it mean? Chapter. So what's the chapter? كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي كَيْفَ how كَانَ was بَدْءُ الْوَحِي The beginning of revelation. To who? إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ To the messenger of Allah صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ Meaning how did it begin? How was it at first? And we see that later on in the chapter, the hadith will be mentioned which tell us that how initially the Prophet ﷺ received revelation in the form of true dreams and then how finally when the angel appeared. So this is what it means by this title. كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَقَوْلُ اللَّهِ جَلَّ ذِكْرُهُ And the statement of Allah who is Allah Jalla, meaning جَلَّ ذِكْرُهُ His dhikr exalted. So the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ كَمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَى نُوحٍ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ That indeed we have revealed to you, O Prophet sallallahu just as we revealed to Nuh and the prophets after him. Surah An-Nisa, ayah 162. You will notice that in his book, Imam Bukhari, he gives a chapter, name, the title heading. And then after that he mentions a hadith. But sometimes along with the ahadith, before them he will also mention an ayah of the Qur'an. And sometimes he will also mention a hadith even without the sanad, without the chain. And sometimes he will mention a statement of a companion, a statement of a scholar. Why? Because he is basically proving a point. He is basically explaining something. So this title that he is given, he is explaining that. And how is he explaining that? With the ayah of the Qur'an as well as the hadith of the Messenger wasallam. So how did the wahi begin? First of all, Imam Bukhari mentions an ayah. What's the point of mentioning this ayah? What's the meaning of this ayah? That indeed we have revealed to you just as we revealed to Nuh and the prophets after him. What's the purpose of this? That the wahi that was sent to the Prophet ﷺ, it was sent in the same way, it had the same characteristics, just as the wahi that was sent to who? Nuh awhayna. So basically, the wahi has been the same to all of the messengers. From Nuh salam, who was Nuh salam, the first messenger, to the last messenger, Muhammad كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي And then, إِنَّا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ كَمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَى نُوحٍ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ And then Imam Bukhari mentions the ahadith. Now before this, before we study the hadith, there is one objection that has been raised, which is that Imam Bukhari, he just started his book like that. He just said, Bismillah, he mentioned the name of the chapter. And that's it. He started mentioning the ayat and the ahadith. There is no khutbah. Typically when you open a book, what do you find at the beginning? In alhamdulillah. Right? There's always praise for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as some opening sermon, some opening khutbah. But you don't find that in his book. And some people, they raised an objection against that. But what's the answer to this? What do you think? Okay. But isn't it necessary to... Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, however little you speak, it's necessary to praise Allah. You should not have less words to glorify Allah. That what was the purpose of this book? To collect the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Right? And what does the sunnah teach us? To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you think about it, Imam Bukhari, before he wrote any chapter, the name of any chapter in his book, before he wrote any hadith in his book, what did he do? He performed ghusl and performed two rakah salah. In salah, what are you doing? 
praising Allah and also sending salat and salam on the Messenger wasallam. Isn't it so? So isn't that more than enough? He didn't do it once. He did it more than 7,000 times. There are more than 7,000 ahadith in this book. And just imagine the number of the titles. All of that added up together. He performed ghusl and salah. That's hamd. Right? So there's no need for this objection. He glorified Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then also we see that there is a correlation between the chapter heading, which is كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي And just sufficing with saying Bismillah rahman rahim What's the chapter heading? كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي How the wahi began. And he just suffices by saying Bismillah rahman rahim He doesn't go on you know, with any praise or any opening khutbah. Why? Because what was the first revelation? What was the first revelation? اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ Read in the name of your Lord who created. So it's sufficient to say Bismillah. And we see that the way of the Prophet ﷺ was that whenever he wrote, meaning whenever he sent a letter or an important document or something like that, he would not write the khutbah. He would not have the khutbah written. But rather he would suffice with the Bismillah only. As it will be mentioned in the ahadith which are in this chapter. For example, about Abu Sufyan and the story of Heraclius, right? That the letter that was sent... There was only Bismillah written on that. So, كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي He mentions the ayah, and then he mentions the hadith. What is the hadith? I will read it once, then I will do the word to word, and I will make you read as well. حَدَّثَنَا الْحُمَيْدِي قَالْ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانْ عَنْ يَحْيَى بْنِ سَعِيدٍ الْأَنصَارِي قَالْ أَخْبَرَنِي مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ التَّيْمِيُّ أَنَّهُ سَمِعَ عَلْقَمَةَ بْنَ وَقَاصٍ سمعت عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه على المنبر قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إنما الأعمال بالنيات وإنما لكل امرئ ما نوى فمن كانت هجرته إلى دنيا يصيبها أو إلى امرأة ينكحها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر إليه حدثنا he narrated to us الحميدي حميدي Qala, he said. Who said? Al-Humaydi said. What did he say? Haddathana Sufyan. Sufyan narrated to us. So Sufyan narrated to us. To who? Humaydi. An Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari. Sufyan, he learned from who? He heard this from who? Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari. What did he say? Qala, he said. Who said? Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari. He said, أَخْبَرَنِي مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ إِبْرَاهِيمَ التَّيْمِي Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymi, he informed me. أَخْبَرَنِي, he informed me. That أَنَّهُ, that indeed he, who? Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymi. That he سَمِعَ عَلْقَمَةَ That Muhammad ibn Ibrahim, he heard who? He heard who? عَلْقَمَة Who is عَلْقَمَة? ibn وَقَاصٍ اللَّيْثِي And عَلْقَمَة he said, Yaqulu, he was saying, that Samirtu Umar ibn al-Khattab. I heard Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. So what do we see over here so far? How many people? Haddathana al-Humaydiyu. Then, Haddathana Sufyanu. Then, An Yahya ibn Sa'id al-Ansari. Then, Akhbarani Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Taymi. Annahu sami'a al-Qamat ibn Waqasin. That Samirtu Umar ibn al-Khattab. And Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu, he narrates the hadith. So how many people are there? Six. Humaydi, Sufyan, Yahya, Muhammad, Alqama, and Umar. Anhu. Who are these people? The narrators. Who is the person from whom Imam Bukhari heard this hadith? Al-Humaydi. Who is Al-Humaydi? I'll just tell you a little bit about these people. Just so that you're like, who are these people? Remember that this will not be for every hadith that we study because if we start doing that, we might not ever get to study the hadith itself. So just a little bit about this chain. Humaydi, he was a Qurayshi teacher of Imam Bukhari. Remember that Imam Bukhari, where did he learn hadith from? From many different places, including Makkah. So Humaydi was his teacher from Makkah. And it is said that he was of the most afqa, meaning the most knowledgeable, the one who had the most understanding of fiqh, of all of his teachers. So in a way, he was the best of his teachers. And we see that Humaydi, Imam Bukhari puts 
his hadith first. The first hadith that he narrates in his book, which is that from Humaydi. And the last hadith that Imam Bukhari records in his book is from his teacher, Ahmad ibn Ishkab, who was his teacher from Medina. First hadith from the teacher who is from Makkah. The last hadith from the teacher who is from Medina. What is it trying to show over here? Wahi, revelation, deen, it began from where? Makkah. And it was completed and perfected where? In Medina. This is why the scholar said that to explain the book of Imam Bukhari is a debt that has to be paid by this nation. There are so many subtleties in this book, so many points that Imam Bukhari is proving through these little, little points that are not that that obvious. And in a way he's showing that wahi, deen is complete. Began from Makkah, was perfected, completed in Medina. You don't need to go anywhere else. سَحَدَّثْنَا الْحُمَيْدِيُّ And then Sufyan. Who is this Sufyan? Sufyan, this is Sufyan ibn Uyayna. And Sufyan ibn Uyayna was the teacher of who? Al-Humaydi. And he was also from Makkah. And he was of the topmost muhadditheen of his time. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he heard from who? Yahya ibn Sa'id. Yahya ibn Sa'id was a tabi'i. Muhammad ibn Ibrahim, he was also a tabi'i. So there are two tabi'i in this chain. And then Alqama. About Alqama, there's a difference of opinion. Some have said that he was a Sahabi. Others have said that no, he was a Tabiri. If you take the opinion that Alqama was a Sahabi, so if you see there are two Sahabi in this chain and two Tabiri. Two Sahabi, Alqama and Umar anhu, and two Tabiri, who are they? Yahya bin Sa'id and Muhammad ibn Ibrahim. And if you take the opinion that Alqama was a Tabiri, then there's three Tabiri and one Sahabi. But that is very impressive. This chain has got to be very, very strong. This is why it's the most authentic book after the Qur'an. Because when he selected any chain as well, it was the most strongest one. When he chose any chain, he made sure that all of the narrators were of the topmost level. If you think about it, Humaydi was a great scholar. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he was a great scholar. So all of these people were not ordinary people. They were great scholars. So... Alqama ibn Waqas al-Layfi يقول, he said, that Samirtu Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu I heard Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu ala al-minbari ala upon al-minbari what is al-minbar? the pulpit where the imam stands and gives the khutbah from so in other words Umar radiyallahu anhu he narrated this hadith when he was standing on the minbar and how many people heard this from him? Many people. Why is it important to say alal mimbari that there wasn't just one listener, but many people who heard the statement? So what did Umar Dilan who say? Qala he said, Samirtu Rasulallahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yakulu. I heard. Samirtu? I heard. Now your grammar will really help over here. All of these tables that you've been memorizing? Because haddathana and akhbarani and qala and samirtu and sami'a. All of these words, you have to know your grammar. So, Samirtu, I heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Yaqulu, he was saying, that, innama, indeed not but, al-a'malu, the actions, bin-niyyati, by the intentions. The actions are, bin-niyyat, by the intentions. Wa innama, and indeed not but, likulli, for every, imri'in, person, imri', imra'atun, Inimru'un. So imra, imri. Who is this person? So wa inna imri'in ma that which nawa he intended. Nawa he intended. The word nawa is from the same root as the word niya. So a niya intention. Nawa he intended on the structure of fa'ala. So inna mal a'malu niyat actions are judged by intentions. And every person will have what he intends for. فَمَنْ so whoever كَانَتْ It was هِجْرَتُهُ His migration. إِلَى To dunya World Meaning worldly benefit. يُصِيبُهَا He attains it. Whoever does hijra For what purpose? To attain dunya. إِلَى dunya يُصِيبُهَا In order to attain dunya. أو or Ila towards imra'atin, a woman, yankihuha, he marries her. Meaning, he does hijrah for the purpose of marrying a woman. 
So فَهِجْرَتُهُ So his hijrah إِلَى to مَا That which Hajra He migrated إِلَيْهِ To it That actions are judged according to intentions And every person will have whatever he intends for So if a person does hijrah To attain some worldly benefit Or to marry a woman Then his hijrah is for that purpose Meaning he will get that He migrated to gain dunya He will get dunya He migrated to marry a woman He will marry her He didn't migrate for the sake of Allah, so he will not get the ajr. You understand the word to word? You understand the text of the hadith? Now read after me. Inshallah we will just read right now and the explanation of the hadith, Inshallah we will do in our next session. حدثنا الحميدي يقال حدثنا سفيان عن يحيى بن سعيد الأنصاري قال أخبرني محمد بن إبراهيم التيمي أنه سمع علقمة بن وقاص الليثي يقول سمعت عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه على المنبر قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إنما الأعمال بالنيات وإنما لكل امرئ ما نوى فمن كانت هجرته إلى دنيا يصيبها أو إلى امرأة ينكحها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر إليه Now what's your homework? So your homework is that I want you to practice the matan. What's the matan? The text. Which one is that? إنما الأعمال بالنيات If you want to practice more than that, go ahead. If you want to practice the chain of narrators, Go ahead. You know, you'll really feel good. You'll really enjoy it. What I started doing recently was, I just opened up the book and I started reading one hadith after the other in Arabic. It was such a joy to read Arabic text. You'll probably get stuck at some point, especially, you know, these names. So it's okay. Just remember that these are the people who passed on the words of the Prophet ﷺ. So you'll also have respect for them, love for them. And the chain won't be heavy then. So your homework is to practice mainly the matan and if you want try to memorize it you already know the first part innamal a'malu binniyat right everybody knows about that so practice and if you can memorize and it's up to you if you want to read it from the book you can do that if you want to read it from your memory you're more than welcome to do that inshallah subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh